Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Real Life Rescues. I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovey. Today we're going to be talking about uh, fun and games on Highway 90. Yep, Highway 90. Highway 90 is um, a very special road in Israel, actually. It crosses the whole country north to south. And it's one of the uh, it's one of the roads that's, I think, the furthest away from, from population centers in most places. It pretty much covers across the Jordan Valley um, from the north, from the south of Israel and Eilat, all the way to the north uh, by Metula and the Lebanon border. And it ends up, uh, most of it's very, very rural road. Uh, it's one lane in each direction, uh, no divider. Um, and as you can obviously already start hearing, it makes a wonderful recipe for incredible, incredible accidents. Yeah, yeah, it is the reddest road, as we call it in Israel, and it, it has a, 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 a crazy death toll on it. Um, the craziest accidents, most far away from all the hospitals, most challenging uh, incidents that we need to respond to there. And unfortunately, they're not really working on making it any better. And as, as far as average response time in the country goes, this brings average response time across the board very far down because it's very remote. A lot of it is desert. I think about 60% of it goes right through the desert. Um, and yeah, the southern part is is the equivalent to Death Valley. And um, it pretty much looks like you're in, in the middle temperatures of Nevada. And in temperatures uh, and yeah, it looks like you're driving through Nevada there, yeah. Um, in temperatures, there's nothing on the side of the road at all. Uh, we don't even have tumbleweeds here. Um, every, every, like it's that, it's that empty. Um, and every, every so often there is a town, uh, there's some kibbutzim down there, uh, which is an old Israeli style collective, uh, communal, uh, township, which they put in usually in agricultural areas. Um, so in the far South, they have a bunch of those, uh, in the North, you have a bunch of those. And in the middle, there's, well, there's, there's the Dead Sea. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going from Death Valley to the Dead Sea to the Jordan Valley and up to the uh, Upper Galilee, all the way basically to the Lebanese border. All right. And you're talking about hundreds of miles of this road and nobody's around. So except for the drivers going from the south in Eilat, which is, you know, Israel's kind of like tourism, one of the, one of Israel's tourism capitals. And the northern border has a, has a number of cities that are on the top. You go through Tiberias, you go through Rosh Hashanah, uh, sorry, uh, you go through... Um, Rosh Nikra, that's on the that's on the Kiryat Shmona. Uh, Kiryat Shmona, thank you. Um, Safe Rosh, Rosh Pina is where it's coming through. Um, so they, and then eventually to Matula. Um, but before those cities and Beitshan, uh, but before those cities, there's really nothing. It's very very empty. And and, ha- and having such a remote road, which is considered a highway with no uh, um, partition uh, between them, having a lot of people driving from their vacations back home. And vice versa is a perfect recipe for your horrific accidents. And right. and unfortunately, over the years, we've experienced many of those. We'll share some of them and the challenges of, of responding to them and trying to save lives in these uh, remote areas. Absolutely. Now, as you can imagine, the uh, most of these accidents 
take place when one car is trying to pass another. Uh, they go into the opposite lane of, of oncoming traffic and they see there's nothing you know, in their way and they can definitely make that pass. But suddenly they go around a turn and whoop, there's a truck uh, right on the other side. And suddenly you have, instead of a family vacation, you have a nice family pancake. Um, so how do we get there? How do we respond to those to those instances? So, so first of all, Rafael, that goes back to the concept of how we're operating in Natal and that's community-based. We do have responders in a lot of these um, uh, farms um, that that are scattered along Route 90, and, and those might be doing the initial first response. But if we're talking about advanced life support, we're talking about um, advanced care, and from there, transport to hospitals, all hospitals are distant. Uh, we're talking hour and a half drive is a drive to nearest hospitals hour to hour and a half which With, means in, without traffic exactly and in most cases in these accidents the the victims will end up being flown out to the hospitals in order to try and get them to a trauma trauma level one hospital right and you're talking medevacs uh, already even that from a distance um and we work together uh with uh with the um i guess elite rescue unit of the of the military here called 669. The Airborne 669 unit. Uh, and they, what their their responsibility is they basically come and do uh, rescues um, in very difficult terrain uh, or in very distant locations as most of Highway 90 is. Now, one of the good things that we you spoke about uh, is the United Cell Volunteers providing that first response. Um, we and, and I think we spoke about in the past that we have an algorithm of where we try and train volunteers uh, so for a while, we were training volunteers specifically along that route. We have volunteers who not only live there, but some even work there. Uh, Masada, which is one of the biggest tourist locations in the country, yeah, is tour- located there. Tourism and, and uh, agriculture. A lot right. of these farms on the way are are, are, are big into uh, agriculture, growing growing farms and things like that. And, and we find that those are real, the initial first response. And I, I mean, I myself have, have responded to dozens and dozens and dozens of accidents on this road over the years. And, and I, I got to say, these are the worst of the accidents because they're at high speed. They're usually have an involvement of a truck as one of the partners of the accident, which automatically makes the whole, um, the whole incident itself much more complicated extrication um and and and, and whatnot and and it also po- puts a, a a toll on us as responders to understand that when while we're treating an accident in this area it's not going to be one of these um tic tac we're in we're out we understand we're there we need it it'll take time to extricate the patient it'll take time to stabilize treat even until that helicopter will come it still will take even the helicopter will take anywhere between um, somewhere around the 20 minutes to half an hour for the helicopter to get there. Right. And you're also talking about head-on collisions in the most cases. Because uh, like I said, most of, the, most of the accidents do happen when someone's coming out of their lane to pass an, another slow-moving vehicle and ends up hitting another one. Um, so it's head-on collisions, which means they're incredibly serious uh, and involve a whole lot of serious injuries as well. Uh, one recent story which took place, I think we may have touched on it a little bit in a different uh, episode, was... Uh, a responder where an accident took place by the uh, Dead Sea Chemical Plant, um, and uh, ac- the responder was notified as the closest responder to the accident. It was it was a head-on collision between two vehicles uh, with people trapped in uh, the smaller car, uh, and the responder was a bus driver, and he was driving his his bus. Uh, there were fifty tourists in the back, and he said, 
you know, hey, everybody, I know we're just coming back from a lot and we've been traveling for three hours, but there's an accident up ahead. Um, I want to ask your permission to, as as you may have seen the vest coming into the bus that I have next to me, I am a volunteer uh, EMT. And I want to ask your permission if I can stop and, and treat the people here because I don't want to take away from your time. Uh, of course, everyone agreed. And he was the first responder on the scene. He helped pull people out of the vehicles when he was able to and began treatment. Those who were still trapped, he wasn't able to reach. He waited for the fire department to come uh, and extricate them from the vehicles. And then they were actually medevaced with the 669 unit and on the helicopters to the hospitals. Uh, and he ended up saving some people's lives when he got back on the bus. Uh, you know, about an hour later, the people were still waiting. Then uh, he got a round of applause from the other from the passengers on the bus. Some had actually gotten off to help uh, to see what they could do. And that was part of the thing. He happened to be in the right location at the right time. Uh, yeah, I think that also connects once again to what we do. It's 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 also the people who live in the area, but also those random volunteers who will be driving on the road, whether either uh, via work, private, uh, you know, trips, or even on on family trips to vacation on their own. And and we find that those are a lot of the first responders. Just to get you into the, some numbers on this Route 90, we're talking about a road that if we're taking a five year period of time here, we're looking at about. Three people killed or severely injured per mile uh, on this road, and it's a it's a road that's about three hundred miles long. Right. So it, it's a very very accident busy um, road. Now now I think that I I many times even took some rotations as part of my uh, uh, reserves duty in the IDF as a as a medic. Um, um, some of the ambulances in that area, because it's so remote, are actually activated by the military. And I, uh, and it, it, within my service, I would do my uh, my month a year. I would do on Route 90 in the southern part, um, which is a, a stretch of about 150, 100, 150 miles of desert. And and every day we'd be dispatched to another accident, one more fatal than the other. I mean, and getting to the scene there. And looking at a scene of uh, four, six severely injured patients, um, we're, we're talking multi-trauma um, injuries um, and, and cars scattered around the area or thrown into the ravines next to the road. Um, it's very challenging. It's very challenging, you know, doing those, uh, performing the life-saving procedures that we've, we're all trained to do. And yet um, on scene, in the heat, in the sun, um, operating in in very difficult conditions until we hear those uh, the blades of the of the chopper getting close. Um, that's uh, besides enjoying that breath of, of of wind. Well, it's actually more dust um, than wind be dust that, that, they, point, yeah. that they blow up there. But uh, but yeah, is it, really understanding that you're really on your own because there's no situation. You put them in your rig, it'll take you an hour and a half or two hours to get to the hospital. All right. And that's just too, too much time uh, for the patient to, to stay with you and, and wait for that treatment if they're in a critical state. If they're obviously a lightly injured patient or moderate, then you can transport them on the ambulances, whereas the more severe patients you have to do in the helicopter. And and and, and even more than that is it's also that challenge of, uh, of treating those uh, multi-trauma patients that are trapped and are, uh, require extrication from the, from the vehicles. It takes the fire department a long time to get there in these areas and, and you're working, you're starting IV lines, one arm, two arms, uh, you know, you're doing airway management while the patient is still trapped Run, running in out the of saline car bags. And, and you do <laughs> not have the fire department there yet, uh, you know, trying to, to tear the car apart 
and and extricate the the patient. So it really also, well, I don't know how to say this in a, in a nice way, but we've gained a lot of experience of treating the most bizarre situations, patients that are that are trapped, reverse intubations, face to face intubations, um, um, things like that, um, trachs and and whatnot. Within these situations, I can say it taught me a lot, but it also taught me more than anything is that. Even if you have an accident, nowhere to do it. Yep, and and there's nowhere on the side of the roads either, because like we said, it's a one lane road. With often there's not even a shoulder, um, and you said there's a lot of places there's ravines on the side. So logistically, it's a little bit of a nightmare because even if the ambulance or the fire department want to get there by by car by normally traveling on the highway, it can be very very difficult, especially when you have an accident in one of these locations. There's no other access road. There's no there's no road on the side that you can sort of get by in most cases. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, but, uh, in most cases, the ambulance just has to try and get around the cars and avoid the cars coming the other direction in order to even get to, uh, the, the scene of the accident ahead of time. So there's that logistical problem. We also have the logistical problem. If the fire department doesn't show up quickly, how do we extricate a patient from the car properly? We don't. We don't. We don't. <laughs> I mean, in certain cases we can, we have, we have what's called a rescue me tool, uh, which is a cute little device, which not only shatters car windows, uh, but can also cut seat belts, uh, and of course, most of us carry scissors, which can also cut seat belts as well. Uh, there's a lot of other devices some of our our volunteers have, whether they're Raptors, uh, Leatherman. Uh, a lot of people are very very uh, excited about receiving um, that cut through seat belts. Uh, so at least from that perspective, we can we can't we can't do anything about the structural uh, physical structure of the car itself. We don't have jaws of life. We're not carrying with us. Um, and we, of course, have to do it safely. So we have to worry about, uh, you know, C-spine trauma and uh, protecting the uh, patient's head and neck uh, while we're possibly either extricating or treating or even doing an intubation. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I got to say on a, on a personal note, um, as someone who's responded to dozens of accidents on this road, is that when we're dispatched to an accident on Route 90, or at least on the southern part of Route 90, we're, we're, we, we know to prepare ourselves uh for, for impact. I mean, and, and I, when I mean impact is in most cases, you will have families involved in these accidents, families that are coming back from vacation, uh, holidays on the Southern, uh, summer, uh, vacation city of a lot. And even just recently, we're talking last month, there was an accident with four fatalities there, um, of uh, two children and two adults. Um, and, and, and coming to these scenes, is 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 a difficult thing. So beyond the medical treatment and 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 procedures that we need to do, we also need to know that that the odds are this is going to have involvement of pediatrics. Um, and and it makes it even more challenging when these accidents happen at night. This is a highway that is in pitch black, and we get to the car or what's left of the cars with our flashlights, and we see a car seat or you see a car seat thrown out on the road, things like that. And and we start our, while part of the team will start treating those victims who are visible, we start our um, uh, search in the area for uh, for additional uh, victims, children, things like that, that, that might've been thrown um, to a great distance. As we can find sometimes the cars, because the, the average speed that people are going on this road is around, well, the legal speed is 55, but you can imagine a desert road, um, pitch black, um, the average speed in these accidents is, is significantly higher. So the velocity of impact is huge. 
and the cars are sometimes thrown to 300 or 400 feet apart from each other upon impact and thrown into the desert sides of the road. And we need to start our search missions of where these victims actually are. And often, this is not something that will you know, happen once in a blue moon. This happens all the time. The victims are thrown from the vehicles and we need to find them in the, the desert area. Desert sands. Des- de- desert sands or rocks um, dozens of feet away or hundreds of feet away from the accident itself, which is a challenge in itself. And that's uh, that's in that's in cars and and in cases of motorcycles, it's it's the distance is much much greater. Um, I remember there was one accident I responded to where the motorcyclist was thrown uh, at least fifty meters away from uh, the closest wreckage to him. Uh, we had to do quite a trek. As a matter of fact, when the accident came out, we arrived at the scene. Um, we weren't quite sure what the accident had been between because we only saw one vehicle. And until we realized that the 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 injured uh, the point the lightly injured driver in the car uh, had told us there was a motorcycle here, uh, and then we had to go looking for the motorcycle. And it took us it took us about another ten minutes to find the motorcycle, and then another few to find the driver because it was thrown even further. Um, they're they're harrowing. They're very harrowing, and they they certainly uh, can cause uh, a lot of trauma for responders as well who are going and trying to do their best to save. Th- those injured in these scenes and are uh, working with the resources that they have, which are not, uh, I would say, the resources that we normally have where we know backups on the way or we know uh, other responders are going to be coming. A lot of times, like you were saying before, we're it. And and I think that one of the important parts is actually, you know, uh, calling back to dispatch and giving a, a uh, scene assessment of what's going on as to what assistance is needed because the the distance is so great and also being able to relay this information over to the 669 airborne uh, air force unit as to what sort of helicopters to send because in a lot of these accidents you have more than one victim and they'll uh, often will request a uh, uh one of these sea stallions um that can get out there that can take more than one or two victims but can actually put on board this massive helicopter, um, uh, four or five victims, and, and fly them all to one trauma center all at the same time, um, as opposed to uh, uh, the the little helicopters. In Israel in general, if we talk about uh, airborne rescues, so there are two, I think we spoke about this in, on previous episodes, there are two civilian helicopters operated by the government ambulance. There's one civilian helicopter operated by the Southern Hospital in Eilat, uh, which activate also a, a rescue a medevac helicopter. Uh, these are small. They can take one to two patients at best. Um, and any additional assistance is done by the 669 unit, not to mention all other rescues. This is where a helicopter can land and you can put a stretcher inside. All other rescues, meaning cable rescues, uh, mountain area rescues, things like that, are all automatically diverted to the 669 airborne unit to go out and do this as they are trained to operate in all weather, all conditions, day, night, whatnot, cable rescues, et cetera. And we find a lot of cooperation in these rescues with them. Raphael, maybe you want to give an example or I'll just take a break and let you talk a little bit. <laughs> Stop giving me that look. <laughs> all good. Um, one of the, uh, that, that look was, uh, was, was general enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> one of the um, things that's, that you mentioned before of our, of our, the usefulness of our volunteers getting to the scene early uh, is that they give that assessment to our dispatch and often the dispatch will directly connect the volunteer to the 669 units so they can get eyes on the ground uh, while they're either 
preparing the helicopter while they're in the air so that they know what they're preparing to walk into. Um, and that's been very, very helpful in the past. We had a one situation like that where there was a family involved. Uh, it was an accident. It was, it was about halfway down uh, Highway 90 in the middle of the desert between the Dead Sea and a lot. Uh, and one of our volunteers from a local township, it was our local kibbutz, who was there first, uh, the scene was able to use, uh, I guess we'll throw in a little bit of innovation here, um, was able to use uh, our carbine system with his phone uh, and actually show uh, our dispatch a video of of the scene. And they did a live video hookup with uh, the 669 unit based on the volunteer cell phone, which, we use, uh, which is something we've developed with the carbine uh, company to be able to show, not only give a geolocation, and use that cell phone as a point of coordinates for the 69 unit to get directly there, but also to get the video feed so they could already start and prepare uh, the medicine, medications they needed uh, to prepare the proper IV lines already en route. Uh, so when they got there, they basically just had to connect them to the IVs that had already been started on the ground and prep and go. And they were able to just uh, really get the patients much faster onto the helicopter and already actually, uh, actually continue treatment fo- on the way to, to follow hospital. up on that, Rafael, is, is we, we train the volunteers and our dispatch is well-trained and coordinated with uh, the Israeli Air Force on this as our devices, like you were saying, in innovation. So the ability to transfer live video feed from the scene, from our volunteers' uh, devices, Giving um, visual on the on the type of rescue needed, we can share this live footage with fire department, with the air force, with the law enforcement, and and whatever other agencies are involved in assisting this rescue. We can share live via a unique link that we share with them, a secured link, and and giving the coordinates is actually we train our volunteers in the field to take a visual view around of them, um, seeing that there are no cables, giving an exact location of where this helicopter should land. Um, or alternatively, um, hover above and, and, and lower a cable and things like that. So leveraging technology here is very, very useful as opposed to waiting for that official unit to arrive on scene and saving precious time. All right. And, that's, uh, and that all relates back to response time in terms of getting the patient the treatment faster, getting them to the hospital faster so they can get to that trauma unit. Um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was going to talk about, uh, access roads. Um, so I had a great story on the last trip up to Gane Huga, our favorite location that we talk about all the time. It's really a great camping site. If anyone ever comes to Israel, highly recommended. Um, on the way up, there was, uh, I got a call. I was on highway 90 in the middle of the Jordan Valley and we got a call, uh, that there was an accident, about uh, 10 minutes in front of us. Um, and I was with my family and I looked at my wife and I said, uh, I think we're one of the closest people, so we're going to have to go. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. So we were on the, we were on the way, and um, it was my private car. I didn't have lights and sirens, uh, and traffic was building up in front of us because there's an accident there, and there's no way to get past. Um, so ac- the traffic on the northern direction uh, was backed up. I was coming from the south. The traffic was backed up, and, and as I was passing, um, uh, I guess, a gas station nearby, I saw a car turn off the highway and go onto what looked like a dirt road. And I was thinking, okay, he's got a four by four. That's great. I'm sitting here in my little Honda Insight, uh, which which is so very low to the ground, it barely gets over the road, um, piled down with all our camping equipment. Of course, I keep my medic bag in the back. So this car turned off by the gas station and uh, pulled onto this, this dirt road. Uh, and I was thinking maybe I might be able to bypass the traffic in front of me and get to the accident faster if I do that too. 
And again, I looked at my wife and I'm like, I'm not asking this time. That's <laughs> why I, I, I did it. And I'm like, I pay for the car anyways, might as well. <laughs> so I, got, I, got, I drove off on this dirt, dirt road and the dirt road lasted about a meter and a half. It was about five feet. And suddenly I was on a bike path. And I kid you not, there's a bike path in both directions that bypasses this, this just a small chunk of the highway uh, right where I was. Um, and the car was driving on the bike path. I'm like, I'm going to do that too. I drove on the bike path and we bypassed the entire traffic uh, jam all the way up to where the accident was. And it turned off of the dirt road again uh, to come back to the highway. I'd actually passed the accident by a few meters, but I've had a good place to stop where no one was there because I was, I was past all the traffic at this point. Got out of the car, grabbed my bag, went back and started treating everybody. Um, and it was, it was uh, two parents and a child on one car. And the other car was... Of course, we talked about a truck, so naturally it was a truck. Um, thankfully, uh, no fatalities in this instance, um, but everyone was pretty banged up. Um, I only have uh, one C collar put on the most uh, patient who was injured uh, the most severely, which was in this case the driver. And uh, we started a line. Other responder managed to show up as well, coming from the other direction. Uh, and we waited a good uh, few minutes before the ambulances were able to come. And when they came, uh, there were actually three ambulances that came all together because they also heard about the accident. We relayed back the fact that there were four injured and three ambulances were able to make it uh, and they transported the people out uh, via ambulance uh, going back north because there was no traffic jam to the north and we were about another 20 minutes outside a major city. So uh, all ended, uh, I guess, in a non-fatal situation, which is sort of the best we could hope for in those cases. But the fact that we had that that small access route on the side was something that really made a big difference. And unfortunately, that doesn't exist throughout the entire highway. But luckily, it did in that instance. Uh, in that case, in actually, I remember. I remember in that area specifically in the northern part of the Jordan Valley, um, there was an accident a few years back that I responded to, which was a uh, a um, bus carrying uh, students um, that uh, crashed into a oncoming uh, semi an 18-wheeler semi, which was multiple injuries there. I remember getting to the scene once again. I was I was just on a routine drive, on uh, happened to be on a routine drive on the road. This, I don't know, this is going back maybe 10 years even. Um, on a routine drive on the road when, when the call came in, and I'm like, uh, I, I look at the call, and I hear it on the radio, and I'm like, oh, no. It's right in front of me, literally. And I, I literally drove maybe one more mile and and I saw the, the 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 terrible accident there it was it was horrific the the bus driver was killed there were a number of the of the students there uh, multiple students there severely injured uh in, in total I think it was about 40 40 uh kids on the bus uh, terrible terrible accident and, and that time that's all it's already an MCI <laughs> yeah it was it, it was an MCI uh, put it this way most of them were lightly injured but you look at I don't know I think it was six or seven um uh, uh, severely multi-trauma patients there and, and I remember just feeling how we always feel like it takes forever in these situations but it really did it really took a lot of time there and triage and you're stabilizing, putting on tourniquets and starting to bag one patient and, and, and another one. And, and then little by little, another volunteer comes and another volunteer comes and some of them needed a, a extrication from the, from the, from the bus itself. Um, the truck driver himself also, I think was severely injured. If I, I remember correctly, I was more focused on the, on the bus passengers there. Um, 
it, 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 it was a bad one. Wow, I, I just remembered that one from years ago. And that's the thing. The, these, these are the type of accidents you remember because they are distant, they are remote. And like you said, they take time for, for backup to arrive uh, and really have to play at the top of your game in order to uh, assess the situation quickly, triage the patients that need you the most. Uh, and even if they're not the ones making the most noise, um, but get to them, try and save their lives as best you can, and then move on to the next patients because you're the only one there for a while. And I think that one of the one of the causes that we see an increase of accidents on this road is cellular phones. I mean, uh, I think this was about um, maybe four years ago. You're four talking year- about in places where there's reception. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other problem. <laughs> yeah, well, now there's better reception, unfortunately, so yeah. people are more busy on their phones. I remember four years ago, there was an accident on Route 90 down by the Dead Sea. Um, a family um, of... Uh, uh, I think it was nine family members in the car um, with an ongoing collision with a SUV driver that was looking at his phone and just, you know, a little bit into the oncoming lane, crashed into them, car ignited, and, and all, all the passengers in the in the car were were perished in this accident. There was nothing to do. You couldn't even get nearby the car uh, because of the blaze. Um, and from the other car, uh, additional people uh, lost their life and all just because of cell phones. And I think these, these are even the most frustrating cause of all, because there's nothing you can do. The car is in a blaze, you know, it is full of people. Um, and, and, and there's nothing you can do. So it's not even about, you know, waiting for the rescue. It's not waiting. There's nothing to do. And he says, it's just a stupid, stupid mistake. Just someone looking at his cell phone. Yep, and it's incredibly tragic, and it cost the life of a family there. Um, I actually carry a, a very small fire extinguisher in my car. Uh, obviously, not enough to put out a car it blaze. Would not help you in this not, case. Not help in that case, file. but in other cases, it has been useful, and uh, it's not a bad idea uh, for those who are taking long trips or in, in distant remote locations uh, to bring a, a, um, a fire extinguisher with you. Uh, you never know when those things can be helpful. That's about all the time we have today. We didn't we didn't get to the hiking aspects of all this of all wow. this road. So I guess maybe we'll we'll dedicate an episode to the six six nine airborne unit of the IDF in collaboration with the United Asala. We have to get some of them in here then to get on the you podcast. Know what? We could do that. We can get you know maybe we'll get a guest. Okay, sounds Let's good to me. We, we haven't done one of those since uh, since Sharon Slater way back. Well, it's good. It's time for a guest. Wow. Time for a guest. Okay, um, so that's it. Puts us up. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's going to be the next episode, but hopefully one of the future ones will be doing that. There's a lot of hiking problems and accidents that take place along this road. There's a lot of hiking trails. I talked, I mentioned Masada before, and I was going to bring that up, but uh, we'll have to say it for another time as well. Uh, we'll do an episode on hiking and all the problems that go on there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Stay safe out there. And uh, remember, when you're going on long trips, definitely take some uh, first aid kit with you, fire extinguisher, uh, candles, other other things that are uh, might help you on those long drives. And don't text and drive. 